Well, hello and welcome to the call room. Uh, it's your host, David Griffiths here, welcoming you to a very, very special episode. Yes, we've finally made it. It's our 200th episode of the podcast. Uh, you can hear in the background there the sound of party poppers going off, of cakes being sliced, uh, of celebrations all around, uh, because it's a wonderful milestone to have made. We're going to celebrate it with a very special episode today as we sit down with the team from Burnley Brewing. Uh, but look, before we get underway with that, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who makes this podcast happen. Uh, obviously, that involves brewers uh, and beer reps who organise uh, organise us to be able to come along, uh, either in the Zoom room or live uh, for shows. It involves my friendly co-hosts, uh, particularly Mr Warren Wu these days, uh, who gives up so much of his time to make sure that we have excellent episodes. Uh, and of course, above and beyond everything else, it involves you guys, the listeners, uh, those of you who share the podcast, those of you who buy the beers from the online store that allows it to keep ticking over and who come along to live events to make sure that we have fantastic times like we did out at Burnley. So look, it's a milestone. It's hard to believe that it's been five years. Uh, certainly we never thought about 200 episodes. We never thought about anything like that uh, back in the days when we were kicking this off. So I'm incredibly grateful that uh, you guys have supported it enough that we've managed to keep it going this long. Um, look, we're going to have a ripper episode with Burnley today. Uh, times of change out at Burnley uh, and some awesome beers uh, to enjoy. We're not selling these beers this year through our Shopify, but I highly encourage you to go and visit Burnley's online shop or Burnley in the Flesh uh, to experience them. As you'll hear, there's a really diverse range of fun october beers uh, available from Burnley at the moment. Some really fun, uh, interesting and diverse flavours. Uh, encourage you to get around those. Uh, and look, obviously with these live podcasts, you get a bit of that extra background noise. Hopefully it brings you the feeling of being out and about uh, while we're, uh, <laughs> what it's like to be in a brewery and chatting to the brewers live. We were smack bang in the brewery in this episode, as you'll hear. Um, Look, we have some really fun things coming up for the rest of October, and so if you're able to get around those and support them, it would be fantastic. Uh, the next of our online shows that we're going to be doing uh, is a double header. We're going to be sitting down and talking to Hypocrisy uh, on about 6.30 on the 19th of October. And then about 7.30, so double header night, uh, we're going to have Batch on. Uh, Clint from Pocket Beagles hopefully will be joining us to talk about the rebrand. Uh, we're going to have some influence from Wayward and their Recession Ale, a really interesting story to tell there in terms of labelling and their message to the beer industry. We hope you're going to be able to get along and talk uh, and listen to the brewers uh, as we talk about those beers. And then... The following week on Thursday the 26th, we're going to be sitting down online with Avenge Brewing, uh, and they've got a really interesting six-pack in our store now, uh, a really interesting, uh, some big beers in there, I've got to say, uh, but some interesting styles. Looking forward to that conversation. We've not had them on the show before, so that should be really fun. And then a few days later, we're going to be out at Masterson's in Mooney Ponds, 
uh, Pete and Jill, Jill are going to be hosting us out there as we sit down and talk to Bells Beach. Come along and be part of that episode on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, we've got no ticket price on that one. Just rock in and buy whatever beers you want so you can spend as much or as little as you want and be part of the Cool Room family. And um, what a fabulous family it is, a five-year-old family with 200 episodes under its belt now. Look, no further ado, we've got a lot to talk about with Burnley as all of the changes have been happening out there and uh, these guys are really generous and honest with their answers. So I just love the conversations we had and can't wait for you to listen to them. Help spread the word. Look, if you're on the social medias, look, Gee, if you're not already following us, please join up to the Facebook, join up to the Instagram, but perhaps even share it because this is a ripper episode and I'd love people to hear it as much as possible. Radio, let's go and sit down in the Burnley brew house and get things underway. Well, this is very exciting. We're here for episode 109. No, 200. 200. <laughs> Congratulations. 200 episodes of The Cool Room. We're out at Burnley Brewing. Uh, we're going to have a cavalcade of stars tonight. We're going to have a cavalcade of amazing beers. Uh, you can hear in the background that we're right smack bang in the centre of operations here. Next to the kitchen, the food is flying out the door. We've got a big crowd in. Uh, and we're right in the brewery as well. You'll see the photo on the socials. Uh, awesome to be out here tonight. Awesome to be talking about seven amazing beers. Awesome to be here with Warren Wu, who negotiated the football traffic to get here. Uh, for our listeners from Finland, Warren, do you want to explain how hard it was to drive across Melbourne tonight? It was ridiculous, but it's it's that's that's what you expect when you live in Melbourne and try to get across. Hoddle Street and Richmond to, to end up in this amazing venue. So, yeah, that's that's Friday night. That's Friday night in... in Friday night footy. Two different yeah, footy codes amazing. on the night, just yeah. down the road. Uh, so if you're hearing a bit of noise in the background, if you hear some whoops along the way, it's because Warren Wu's footy team has kicked a goal. Uh, we're out of Burnley. We're really excited to be here. We're joined by two friends to kick off. Uh, you might be able to hear that all the machines doing their things in the background. The man who makes sure that they're doing their things uh, out of Burnley now is Callum. Callum Fowler, welcome to the show. Howdy ho, fellas. Good to be here. Excellent to have you here. And we're also joined by, well, previous participant in the podcast, yeah. Ryan yeah, Cochran. Right. Ryan, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. It's good to be back. I can't remember whether your bits of our previous shows made it to air or not. Yeah, we've had, I've been on this podcast tw- uh, two times Twice, now. Yeah. And one, we were in lockdown, so that was via Zoom, and that was with its own... Uh, mishaps and I was in a place with bad reception so I remember probably <laughs> yeah. 10 minutes into it you guys tell me to move out of wherever I was that's right um, and yeah, the second one was at the bar and it was busy and I think uh, Clint and I weren't getting too close to our microphones so apologies if you start hearing me breathe on the <laughs> through the audio just because I'm not going to make that same mistake again <laughs> if you stop hearing him breathe ring the police something <laughs> has gone terribly wrong so uh, we're going to be talking about a whole lot of sort of moving pieces of puzzles tonight. We'll get on, Brian, to how you've got here and so forth. But, look, let's talk beer. Let's start off with the beer that's in front of us. Mr Warren Wu, you've done your traditional Mr Warren Wu thing, turned up on time, but almost finished the yeah, beer already. annihilated that Hellas, which is just delicious. Like, it's, it's just fresh and clean and everything you expect from this style. Um... Callum, tell us a little bit about it. Tell us about the Hellas. Yeah, it's it's probably 
the hero of Burnley, I would yeah. say. Um, our founding head brewer, Michael, um, been on the podcast a couple of times with Chloe. Um, and, yeah, one of the first beers he brewed here at Richmond, I believe, um, the recipe has barely changed in almost six years now. I think it's our sixth birthday in a couple of months. I thought and, you were going to uh, say 400 years. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he probably pinched the recipe from one of the breweries he like did training at in Germany, to be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it's just a classic. It's, it's a really simple recipe but really hard to execute. And, um, yeah, Mikey has taught the whole team and myself like how to just keep it up. And uh, we just got a gold medal for it for the first time at the... Uh, uh, the Indie Awards, so wow. onwards and upwards, and uh, yeah, just a beer that I will always drink on any occasion, in any venue, whatever the weather. Yeah, yep. When Absolutely. you say it's simple but hard to execute, explain, particularly say for home brewers at home, why it's hard to execute a beer like this. When I hear simple, I go, well, that must be simple. Yeah, I suppose simple in terms of the ingredients. It's uh, it's a German lager, so it's predominantly uh, German Pilsner malt. And so when you're looking at it from an ingredient perspective, it's, it's uh, two malts, it's one hop, or two hops. I change it to one hop, Michael. Apologies. Oh, um, got a gold, though. <laughs> um, and uh, the house lager strain that we've always used, and uh, it's just a beautiful, clean fermenting lager strain. So from an ingredient perspective, it's, it's super straightforward, but executing the fermentation and the yeast management is where you kind of make or or kind of bake a, a lager, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've got to be super careful with it, um, give it a lot of love, a lot of time in tank, and uh, I think that's what's really hard to execute, I suppose, on a homebrew level or um, in the hot Aussie weather. But, um, yeah, we got the tools to do it, and we do it well. I love it. That is, that's, yeah, that's a really... That's a really lovely description of... Of, yeah, the challenges, the simplicity, yeah, the, the difficulty and the simplicity of it. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's tricky because lagers are probably the easiest to drink. When you're comparing it to like a big hazy IPA or anything like that, you, you got nothing to hide behind. Hell, mm-hmm. Hellas, you have absolutely nothing to yeah, hide yeah, behind. totally. And so we take it so seriously, making sure every batch is as perfect as we can get it. Um, and yeah, it's just a, it's a labour of love, that beer. Excellent, yeah. excellent. I might backtrack a little bit. We did do a little bit of an introduction. But one of my favourite things is getting our guests to introduce each other. Mm. It's just, I think, I think we just find out oh, an no. extra dimension of of the people behind the microphone. This is where we find out what macro lagers they yeah, both drink. They want. <laughs> so, oh God! Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I, so Ryan, would you like to introduce Callum? Tell us a little bit about what he does and. What's his favourite macro beer? And what's his favourite craft beer, which isn't a burner? Burnley beer. Yeah. Ooh, that's hard. Ooh, yeah. So he says horrible things about everyone else's beer. No, I can't. <laughs> True. <that's... laughs> um, so Cal is our head brewer and has been for the better part of, I'm going to say, about six months. Um, probably a little bit longer, but I'm probably just going to cut it a bit short there just because there was a nice transition period. Mm-hmm. Um, Cal has done the rounds... And I don't know this for a fact, but I reckon he's been around for about eight to ten years in this industry. Wow. I'm not that old. Six, Six. I think. Oh, yeah. oh, nice. Maybe seven, actually. Yeah. Seven. Um, I like how this is going so far. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I listen somewhat well. <laughs> uh, at previous stints at Hargraves Hill, 
uh, CB Co as well. Um, and now here, I don't think I've missed anywhere in between. You're doing well. Yeah, cool. Um, uh, yeah, Cal is now the lifeblood of this uh, of this brewery just because, yeah, like you said, he's tweaked a few recipes um, using existing um, passion that was through at, that was here at Burnley and now sort of making it his own without going too crazy and making it his own, but somewhat uh, making his changes that he sees fit. Um, and I reckon Cal's favourite macro lager. I'm going to go... Whoa. I'm going to go Modelo, I think. Oh, I, don't, I haven't had one of those for a long time, I reckon. Yeah, but it's a good call. Yeah. That's yeah, kinda, that's a, yeah. I can see what you're trying to do yeah. there. And um, his favourite... I know I would like to take a guess, and his favourite style is an ESP. Oh, yeah, nice. Pretty close. Yeah, yeah. pretty close. The other Eco Project beer, I reckon you got it. Oh, the Whip? (laughs) Yeah, man. Love love me a Whip beer. Yeah, (laughs) right. Nice. From who? I can't pick... I can't... I mean, I'm biased when I say that we have the best Euro-style beers, but I can't think of anyone else that he might really enjoy, just because he hasn't... (laughs) We don't... We only drink exclusively Burnley beers together because we're usually at work together. Because so. it's free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I would say, yeah, you'd find him drinking a... Oh, I mean, I thought an ESB, but, yeah, you'll find him drinking a whip beer somewhere. <laughs> Too hard to get in Australia. That's yeah. why I, I just, like, put one in cans recently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah not, just... not bad, mate. Not bad. Prony Red, I reckon. Oh. I will always go Prony Red. Oh, I think you yeah. were pretty. I think you've done really yeah. pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I thought Mordell was a good pull. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, and there's some cred behind that. Like yeah. you, you're, you're tapping a dig, but not really having yeah. a dig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's also a bit like playing darts. Like if you haven't landed the treble twenty, and you get the, you get the nine next to it, like yeah. it's not quite the same. Yeah. But let's um, let's play payback. Yeah, Ryan Cochran, a beautiful, beautiful man. I love working with him. Um, Ryan has been at Burnley uh, in the sales team for... Have you been here for a year now? More than a year? Less than a year? Yeah, if you don't include all my holiday time, it's been a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, yeah, so, like, on the books for 12 months, but, like, overseas for six. <laughs> um, uh, previously was one of the co-owners, I believe, at Hopheads. Mm. So Ryan loves himself some IPAs, so maybe you're going to see some extra Burnley IPAs out in the place. Nice. In, in the sometime future. <laughs> it's very polite golf clapping from the crowd. I don't think I've ever yeah. seen us actually having golf clapping in, yeah. Yeah. in the yeah. room before. Every, everyone loves an IPA. Clap. I love IPAs. Why not? Um, your favourite macro lager? Oh, man. We need to go drinking more yeah, together. I think so. We need to get out of the workplace. Oh, yeah. I reckon when Ryan heads off to the footy soon, he's just going to be smashing Great Northerns. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, not, when you go up yeah. the Gold Coast, mate, I'm sure you're smashing Great Northerns like all over town. There's nothing wrong with the mid-strength here. <laughs> yeah. you drink well, more, you can have more. Unless you go in the MCC members, there's uh, mid-strength's all you've got, really. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, unfortunately, you will not be seeing... I don't have a collared shirt on, so I definitely won't be at the MCC section. But, uh, yeah, you'll definitely be seeing me smash down uh, Great Northerns. 100%. That's right. And That's I reckon... the first of our football references. Uh, <laughs> listeners yeah, in Finland, there's a bit of this to come. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think we'll go without saying that your favourite style would be IPA. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I won't I won't specify which IPA. All of them. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Brian, do you want to specify? Yeah, if we're sort oh, of going, you know, I'm, my favourite probably be like. That's a hard question. I haven't thought about it for a while. I, I think the first one that came to my head is Hawker's West Coast IPA. Um, oh, just classic, because yeah. it's, yeah, it's a classic beer. beer. Yeah. Yep. It, like, you know, you're going to have, like, when you have it, it's going to be good. And yeah. it's just a matter of how good it's going to be, 
like depending on freshness, which they care about, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just having it from a month old to three months old, you're still in that good range of like amazing beer. Anything after that, still very good beer. And that's, yeah. that's, a, that's credit to them. That's a good call. That's a really good call. Mm. I love that. I'm, I'm sort of fascinated to know, guys, we're going to be talking about all the things you've got planned for the future as we go along. But when you came here, when you were putting the resumes in, uh, what was it that you guys were pitching as the next things to do with Burnley that you guys wanted to do? So, Cam, was there a particular reason why this was the place you wanted to be? Yeah, so, I, I mean, I started my brewing out at Hargraves Hill. I, um, I come from, like, an engineering background, did it at uni, got into, like, research science with, like, composite materials. Absolutely hated it. Um, and so I think I was like five years into a failing PhD and then, yeah, luckily Hargrave still gave me a shot. It was home brewing, like, good with, like, data analysis and stuff, I suppose. Um, and then I jumped ship to, yeah, CBCO, ex, like, colonial brewing, um, to try and learn what it was like to be in a big brewery and was there during, like, 2020 lockdowns and, like, we couldn't keep up with production and I learned so much about working in a big brewery and then... I mean, I don't have anything ill to say to the place. Like, that team at CBCO is just mm. some of the best people I've ever met. But then... Yeah, yeah, if anyone was... wants to know why the numbers on the podcast never quite fit together, CBCO is part of that story, but let's not worry about that right now. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, it got to, like, October 2020, and an opening came up at Burnley Brewing, and a very good friend of mine and friend of the show, Stephen Matthews, who is head brewer of Golden Hills and of Shaw Brewing... Go, go um, back and check out all those episodes, particularly the Shaw Brewing one, which uh, is yeah. the most recent time Steve's, Steve's a beautiful human. Um, he, yeah, he was like, you should, you should have a crack at Burnley because, like, Michael is an amazing brewer. Chloe is just an incredible person and is just the heart and soul of that place. Have a crack. And so, yeah, I, uh, Mikey took me on and I quickly was kind of his, like, unofficial 2IC. And, yeah, um, I came because I wanted to learn how to make bang and lager and definitely have and, like, yeah... Just an, just an amazing spread of beers that Mikey has pulled off for so many years. Um, and then, yeah, I just wanted to brew more IPAs. <laughs> and, Brian, how, how about yourself? What sort of, you know, why, why here, why now? Um, I guess... Well, that's a good question. Um, that's what we're here for. We're yeah, here for the good questions. We love the good answers as well, but the good questions... Hopefully it's a good, hopefully hopefully it's a good answer. Um, yeah, I finished up at Hopheads. Um, a very long story short, just very burnt out, very tired didn't really know what I wanted to do um, for a thousand different reasons and that's not a knock on hopheads, it's more uh, talking about myself um, and uh, during my exit or during my transition period um, had a good chat to Chloe about culture um, mental health and all this uh, and everything in the like um, without the idea of a job being pitched to me, just more of a just a good conversation mm-hmm. um, and again, after maybe two, three of those sort of conversations, some at Hopheads, some here, um, yeah, just started talking about what a role here for me would look like. And very quickly, that quick chat became, all right, let's do this. Um, I, again, another great thing about coming here for me was I just needed time for myself. Um, so I knew I had a job here waiting for me, um, but I didn't start for another two, three months. Um, which was obviously great for me personally, my well-being and everything like that, but very much with the idea of the job's here, you start when you think you're ready to start, um, and then we'll take it from there. Whatever version you are when you start, we'll work from there. And so just having a conversation like that, which I've never had with any employer, um, that for me was like 
it sold me without really having to sell me anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's sort of what got me on board here. And now, obviously, uh, Chloe and Michael have both left, but like that concept and that idea and that culture is still here very much so because of them and um, it's just up to everyone else that's here is to continue that and for me that's definitely a conversation that I have with new reps who come through this business who want to start in this industry is like look the best version of yourself is the best work version of yourself and that's something that was taught to me through Chloe only through 12 months but for me it's something that's going to extend a long time now. Yeah, and I've got to agree. When we've spoken to the guys, um, particularly Chloe, when she's spoken about the idea and the philosophy about how uh, how you approach employees and business, it's all yeah. I think it it made a lot of sense, and it was about getting the best of people in a really organic way. And I think it's really... I think it was always terrific to hear. Yeah. So, yeah. I used to joke that um, Burnley was the, the the home of broken toys in the beer industry. Um, and it is true to an extent, but we all come out a lot better than what we were when we first started. I think I can count on a few employees here that have had different struggles or different... Um, yeah, just different struggles, but we're all here and we all love being here, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very well said. I think that is probably the number one thing about Burnley and the reason I have been here for three years now and don't plan to go anywhere is the culture that Chloe and Michael created is is pretty amazing. And we've got just such a beautiful crew of people um, who have come from all different jobs and countries and places and we're just a big old beautiful family. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we've, we've set the stage there. We've certainly sort of acknowledged the role that Michael and Chloe have in setting up the brewery. We've acknowledged the role, albeit with some tweaks that they had in the Hellas. We're going to have a quick pause, <laughs> and then we're going to start to drink through some of these amazing collaboration beers that we've got lined up. Uh, they're not available from the Cool Rooms online store, but I have no doubt that you're about to get them from Burnley's online store. If they haven't already sold out, Ryan, are you able to give us a quick preview about how people might be able to get away with uh, getting their hands on these beers? Yeah, absolutely. So you can uh, grab them on our website, uh, burnleybrewing.com.au. Um, they have just gone live today. Obviously, this episode is going to come out not straight away, but um, by the time you're listening to this, they will definitely be up and available. Um, price point, I can't say off the top of my head. I want to say... Don't use a discount code if it's not the right price, but I want to say 100 <laughs> to 110. Um, that gives you 16 beers. Uh, we have eight different styles, so it's eight different beers times two. Um, so it's a great thing to share with someone. It's a great thing to just have by yourself. Um, but, yeah, the idea of our packs is to obviously enjoy eight different beers and then there's another three that you can have at the tap room as well. And so if you use the discount code <laughs> Ryan's Mate, yeah. uh, what it does is it takes $20 out of Ryan's pay and takes $20 off your price. Uh, it's a great deal. It's a great deal, even though Ryan wasn't aware of that until that moment. It's for the first five customers. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, guys. We're going to be back with the first of the uh, collab beers in front of us in, well, if you're listening to the podcast, no time at all. Uh, now. <laughs> Okie 
Jakey. We're back here at Burnley Brewing. Ryan has decided that he can't take the, uh, the responsibility anymore. He's off to the MCG to watch the footy. Warren Wu is watching the footy on the big screen. It's really just Cal and I who are going to be concentrating on the next beer. Uh, we've got the first of the beers that are going to be available in that pack that you can buy from Burnley's website. Uh, it is a collaboration with Sobra Mesa. Uh, it is the Dortmunder Export Lager. Cal... I don't really think I know what a Dortmunder export lager is. Explain, particularly in the context of comparing it to the Hellas we were just having, uh, what we're going to be tasting in this beer place. For sure. A Dortmunder export lager, it originates in Dortmund. Uh, uh, if you would believe it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, export lager uh, is export strength, so it's a bit higher in ABV than our standard lagers. I mean, the majority of lagers we're doing at Burnley are probably like mid to high 4%. Um, mm-hmm. The Dormwinder exports are at 5.5. Yes, got it. Good um, work. <laughs> uh, it's a collaboration with Sobra Mesa. And out of our eight beers in our Oktoberfest mix pack this year, six of those are collaborations. Um, very briefly. The two that aren't, we've brewed a Metzen, the quintessential Oktoberfest beer, and I think it accompanies our core range Hellas Lager really, really well. Mm-hmm. So if everyone's coming down to the tap room, Steins of Metzen, I think. Um, and the other one is a Schwarz beer that's just a Burnley beer um, to kind of hit the darker end of the lager spectrum. Absolutely. Ripper style. Yeah. But yeah, um, we... So my 2IC kind of site lead out at our production site at Dandenong, Jacob, who I used to work with at uh, Civico as well. We... Uh, a two-man brewing team and run every kind of idea past us and we had an amazing time collaborating with um, Casey from Sobra Mesa on this. So go um, back and check the archives. I think he's on the second of our Williamstown Beer Festival episodes yeah. from 2022. We'll be out there again this year. So just a heads up to everyone to come and join us uh, at the end of November. Awesome. Yeah, um, so Casey's really good friends with Chloe and Chloe's the heart and soul of Burnley and they had this beer in the pipeline well before this Oktoberfest. Um, it never got around to being brewed, and so when we were putting the idea for the mix back together, it was a, just a no-brainer that this was going to be one of the eight. And, um, yeah, so it is uh, a, a higher ABV lager. Um, those that are here can see that it is more of, like, a deep gold. Mm. It's, um, mm. it's yeah. a lot more full-bodied. It's got a more complex malt bill than, say, the Core Range Hellas lager. Um, it's still got a base of Pilsner malt, but we've used like a good amount of Vienna and Carapils malts to give it that body, give it that little bit of like malt complexity, some really nice bready characters. And uh, to kind of balance that malt bill, the, the kind of sweeter finish, I suppose, the full body, we've given it like a higher bitterness, but not something that you'd find assertive or dominant, but it's just all about balance. It's just a style that it's all about the balance of molten hops. And so which hops are we getting in this? Is so that is a great question. To refer- I'm uh, still here for the good questions. Th- th- you're testing me, David. <laughs> <laughs> I believe... Um, so uh, I love Hallertau Mittelfruh. It mm. is one of the most... Uh, yeah, my, probably my favourite German noble hop, and it turns out that Casey does as well. So I believe that that is a real hero um, in the hop character of this beer, which, again, isn't dominant. It's kind of just like Mel, kind of playing there in the background. I believe there might be some Tetnanger in it as well. Um... And I think bittered at the start of the boil with Magnum, which uh, is now kind of our house bittering hop. Um, our research team has been hard at work, thank you, Rasmus. We couldn't actually figure out what was on the can. Yeah, so. and then I suppose, like, we, we use a, a dry lager yeast as our house lager yeast. Um, it's a Vine Stefan Australian. Michael and I love it to death. So do a lot of breweries around the country. Mm. Having said that, um, I suppose one of the things that 
I have had a real joy in doing, um, even when I was like Michael's 2IC, but now that I'm kind of leading the, the show, is trying to champion Australian ingredients and, and still nail German styles, but trying to utilise Australian local ingredients um, to kind of cut down our carbon footprint, um, reduce beer miles, also just get ingredients that are fresher. So this, all of the Oktoberfest 8 is all Weimar and best malts, grains and wheat from Germany. Mm-hmm. However, this uh, particular lager is using liquid lager yeast from Bluestone. Our friends at Bluestone, yeah, Derek. So. Yeah, Derek's so good to me. And um, I'm super stoked with like how the fermentation of this beer went, how restrained the ester profile is. It's just really, really good yeast. Um, in terms of... Let's go back to Sobremesa. In terms yep. of collaborations, how do, what do they bring to the party when it comes, like, particularly because Oktoberfest puts a couple of constraints given the styles that you can do? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I definitely. I suppose the style in the Dortmunder was already really locked away by Casey and Chloe. So that, that was the no-brainer part. But then, yeah, so Jacob and I had a couple of really good phone calls with Casey and we, we discussed everything from ABV, like what finishing gravity is the beer going to be, what uh, what malts, what percentage of malts, what hops, how are we going to hop it, uh, do we do the bluestone yeast? Um, every element of the beer Casey had really good input on, and he hasn't had a chance to taste it yet. I think he will next Saturday. <laughs> and uh, Casey, I hope you like it. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he's a really knowledgeable brewer and a really nice guy. And uh, yeah, I think we've created just a really, really good lager. Um, he came along for the brew day too. I know a few of the collab partners couldn't make it into state or make it down to our Dandenong production brewery, but Casey was there for the whole day with Jacob um, and went off without a hitch. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah Sober Mesa and Casey get huge part in this one. Excellent. It's, uh, I'm always fascinated to know who's got to clean out the fermenters at the end of the day. Normally when we get to go and do uh, collabs... Not it's because... me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Casey either, I imagine. Is, this a, is that a Jacob level? I'm pretty problem? sure Jacob was whining and dining Casey up on the brew deck while. Uh, I, so we've got a really. We've got a shit hot production team out at, at Dandenong. Um, so I'm, I suppose I'm, I'm head brewer and Jacob is like lead brewer or site lead. Then uh, Taylor, who is. Uh, he's been at Burnley for almost three years, or more than three years actually, around when I started as well. He's um, senior brewer. And then we've got Becky Eloise as um, production brewers. And every one of them are just champions. So, would have been one of those three would have been cleaning that tank, David? <laughs> Bless their souls. <laughs> We're always fascinated by the politics of that kind of Could we start to paint a bit of a picture, uh, and we'll talk about it obviously more as we go along, um, about what these, well, couple of months, but particularly the last week or so, has been like for you as oh, head brewer. There are stories. stories. Yeah, that's there what are what stories. <laughs> so, um, Chloe uh, had grand plans for this Oktoberfest and it has succeeded. Like the, We've done the mix pack for uh, three years now. The first time was in um, the midst of lockdowns and we made uh, more than eight beers here at our Richmond Tap Room in the small tanks and then we went into lockdown and we're like, well, kegs are no good. We're not going to be able to have an Oktoberfest in the tap room. So between uh, Michael, myself, Taylor and um, Julia, a brewer that we had at the time, kegged everything from the tap room, took all the kegs out to Dandenong, and then pushed those kegs into some tanks and packed them out, and uh, that was traumatic. (laughs) And then those packs sold so well, we did it all again during the same lockdown, because we're mad. (laughs) So absolutely no lesson learned. And and so then the next year, we're like, wow, 
We had a lot of traction with those mix packs. We just commissioned our brand new spanking 25 hectolitre, so two and a half thousand litre brew house at Dandenong. Let's plan to do a mix pack of eight beers all brewed at Dandenong again. And uh, so um, my wife had a, and I had a baby last year. I had a month of paternity leave and missed all the brew house installation. I rock back up in a week later. It's like, we got to start brewing. The brew house is barely ready, but let's give it a whirl. So like the first eight beers were all of our Oktoberfest beers. And Michael and I were dialing in like anti-foam and yeast nutrient and like hooking up glycol like hours before we were knocking beer into tank. It was absolute madness and at the end of last year's Oktoberfest we're like let's not do that again so that's two years running and then this year my god um, the first Oktoberfest brew that we were going to do um, the rake assembly in our mash tun collapsed because when it was installed, a washer was put around the wrong way on the, uh, the column that holds the oh, rake so assembly. We've all, we've already got our cool room story for the night. I think it's all, it's all down to one washer. Yeah. <laughs> I had been sick with um, COVID and RSV, and it was, I rocked up my first day back, and the team were like, we're recirking this mash, and it looks really, really cloudy. And I'm like, yeah, okay, we'll see if it gets better, and it didn't. And then when, um, when it got grained out, and we saw what was left in the mash tun... Um, yeah, there wasn't much left. It was just like stainless steel bent everywhere. The false bottom had been ripped apart. And, uh, and we were meant to brew all the Oktoberfest beers in the, like, the next two weeks to give them like really, really long tank time, like do proper like eight to ten week lagers. And um, yeah, so like we were straight on the phone to um, Bespoke Brew Solutions. Who, That's what I was going to ask is how yeah, does that work? Yeah, like, and you so, know, do you just duck down the road to you do not, and you pick do not. up a spare brake system? <laughs> um, Justin Fox and the team at Bespoke, like all of our new equipment at Dandenong is through them. And the, I mean, this was no fault of anyone's. It's just a freak incident. Um, Justin and the team got straight onto their factory in China and within three weeks we had air freighted new parts. So this three-week period of, like, no brewing, right as we came out of, like, a pretty, you know, a pretty bleak winter for craft beer in general. Mm. Um, and all of a sudden, not only do we have to do the Oktoberfest beers, but we're running out of Burnley Pale Ale and all the contract brands that we brew for are like, we need beer. And um, so, yeah. And, so and let me guess, the, the washer that was put on the second time around... Was Michael's no fault. Washer. <laughs> <laughs> there's been no more, there's been no greater thought put into a single washer. Oh my one. god, yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, no, it was just absolute freak occurrence that, uh, yeah, like, it, there's there's no fault with anyone or or any piece of equipment, it's just just such a freak incident. So yeah, so the um, the parts air freighted in on a Monday, they arrived at Dandenong at 9am, I rocked up at 9.30am, Jacob and I... Why weren't you there at nine? Hang on, there's questions. Uh, I, 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 was on, I was on call, David. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows when it would have shown? Um, yeah, so um, Jacob and I put the mash tun together. Turns out a couple of false bottom parts needed a, a little bit of, like, grinding down. So then I had to wait for our metal worker to come out there. Then the, uh, the software for the brew house failed on me, so then I had to get the uh, coder on the phone to fix it remotely. Oh. I started brewing uh, Burnley Pale Ale at 5pm, and I went past midnight, and then we brewed non-stop for eight days, and I think I pulled, like, 16-hour days. Like, I would have done more than that, but on the Sunday, on the seventh day, there was a power outage scheduled in Dandenong. <laughs> so literally did not have a, like, couldn't do anything on the Sunday, came straight back into it on the Monday, and we filled um, 12 fermenters with Oktoberfest beers, Burnley beers, and a couple of contract brews. And uh, then I slept for a week. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, it was just absolute chaos. But, um, yeah, and it was the reason a couple of the contract brewers, like, I mean, sorry, the collab brewers for this pack couldn't make it because it was so hastily organised because we were just waiting on new parts. Um, but we got there. 
and great. all the beers worked out amazingly and um, it's a great story to tell on a podcast. <laughs> Absolutely it is. Look, we've got more of those kind of stories about what it's like to try and coordinate all of these beers arriving in the right pack at the right time and fresh as they are. But I reckon we'll come back and talk about them as we kick on into the next of the beers. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, it'll be starting right about now. Well, here we are. We're ready for the second of the special beers that we're having tonight, the Collab beers. This one's a collab with our very good friends from Seeker. I can say they're our very good friends, Mr Warren Wu, because in real time, this time last night, we were online with uh, Bev and Jeff from Seeker. Uh, New to us, but um, some fantastic brews that we enjoyed last night. Yeah, terrific beers. And, um, look, Cal, really interested to hear what it was like working with Seeker and really interested to hear what you've made with them. Yeah, yeah. So the Bohemian Pilsner, for those that don't know, is a Czech Pilsner. Um, Pilsners are predominantly pretty pretty dry, pretty hoppy, um, you know, a hint of malt complexity, and I feel this hits the brief. Um, yeah. I suppose the most famous hop from the Czech Republic is SARS, and that is the hero hop in our core range Hellas. And so when we were kind of designing this one with the Seeker guys, we were like, all right, let's just let's go big. And the Seeker crew, um, they make some really, really good hoppy beers and IPAs, mm-hmm. and so they're no strangers to just throwing hops at tanks and at brew days. And so, I mean, it's not dry hops, but my God, did we throw a lot of SARS. <laughs> I, I think it was like 10 kilos on the, on the brew day uh, in 2,500-litre brew. Um, and, yeah, it's just a beautiful showcase of SARS. You get really nice, spicy, floral hop character that's typical of that hop. Um, there's a bit of body there, but mm. it's still kind of... You, you get a perception of dryness, um, and the, the bitterness is, is pretty firm. So it's, it's a pretty straight-down-the-line Pilsner. I think it sits in the low 5%. I think it might be 5.1 if I'm reading the can. Yeah. Um, it was a pretty straightforward one to make. I think we, we kind of had a recipe in mind. We ran it past the Seeker crew, and uh, they came back pretty quickly like, yeah, that's a banger. Great. <laughs> So SARS is one of those hops that people will have sort of heard about, perhaps, uh, but people newer to craft brewing or brewing in general, you know, may may not know sort of much about its origins. Can you tell us a bit about the hop and where it comes from? Yeah, grown in the Czech Republic, exported from the Czech Republic. Um, there are varietals of SARS that have been shipped around the world and then plonked in the ground in different countries. So I believe New Zealand SARS has um, morphed into what is now known as Mochueca. And Mochueca is a hop that has some really complex, like, mojito, lime, zest-type characteristics. So Mm. it just shows you what a hop can do in different parts of the world with different soil and different weather conditions. Um, But SARS is, like, one of the greatest lager hops in the world, and it's used everywhere. And it is such an important hop to Burnley Brewing. Um, And because it is... Our Hellas is just typical of, of that hop. Um, with a beer like this and with kind of your knowledge of SARS, is there any special tricks to using a bit, that particular hop in a certain way? Do you grow, like, as a, as a fairly experienced brewer now, as, like, and been in the game for, for a while, are there any tricks to do, using different hops and the way they're applied? For sure, for sure. I know... Um, I mean, one that springs to mind is Australian Vic Secret and the, the alpha acids, which, like, impart bitterness when you put them early in a boil. Um, the alpha acids on Vic Secret are obscenely high 
Um, it's another hop. Then what, like, what are alpha acids? Explain again yeah, for it, those of us that are new to exactly. the whole thing, so, so, or those so, that like to pretend we do because we host podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> hops are an organic um, material. They're a plant. They're like very, very loosely related to marijuana. It's in the same family. Won't get you high. It'll make a beer very bitter. So when we're making the wort, the unfermented beer, and we put it through a 60-minute boil, um, like most breweries do, you add hot matter. Um, it's heavily processed and pelletized, but it still has a lot of acids and oils. And if you put it early on in the boil and boil it for a full 60 minutes, you won't have any flavor or aroma left from those hops, but you'll have a lot of bitterness. But it's all about how much alpha acid content there is in that hop. So SARS, I think the batch of SARS we used in this beer, the alpha acid is 2.7%, which is horrifically low. Like You, you don't want to use that as a bittering hop because you have to add so much organic matter to that beer. And then it lowers your volume yield and has all these other kind of like potentially uh, feel a bit vegetal or taste a bit vegetal. Um, Vic, it's like in comparison to Australian Vic Secret, the alpha acid these days is about 21%, which is, um, for those that don't know hops, that's obscenely high. Um, but it's, Vic Secret's also a type of hop that if I use it in a dry hop of an IPA, I layer it in with a bunch of other hops and I use it with a subtle hand because it's uh, a word used to describe that one is very grippy and it's very oily. Um, Mm -hmm. So all sorts of different hops uh, used in all sorts of different beers. Um, but in terms of, I suppose, utilising lager hops in different ways, that's what we have a lot of experience with. And um, SARS is a great one. To, I, I love using it kind of later in the boil and keeping a lot of that spicy floral flavour and aromas. Mm -hmm. um, haven't dry hopped with it yet. Might try that one day. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I would... But yeah, we used Magnum to bitter this beer because otherwise we would have used, like, such an obscene amount of, like, low-alpha acid SARS that the beer would just be all vegetable <laughs> vegetable matter. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, the hero of this beer is SARS. And, uh, yeah, buy a can and uh, you can do a bit of learning. <laughs> is there a particular reason, and for people who are going to be drinking this pack at home and listening to the podcast... Why is this the second beer? Let's sort of talk about beer order. Why the For export sure. first? Why this second? And we'll ask that question a bit as we go along. Yeah, yeah, because it's weird. Like, we started with the highest ABV beer in the pack, but I, I wanted us tonight to drink through and kind of work our way upwards in terms of uh, flavour complexity. And, and I always like, when I, when I go out drinking, I'll have a few pints of a lager, a couple of pale ales. I always finish on a dark beer. So yep. we will be heading in that direction with a little palate cleanser in the middle. Um, but, yeah, I thought that, um, the boho to come after the Dortmunder because it's got, like, that nice assertive bitterness. And if you have a super bitter beer first, everything afterwards might... I don't know, come across a tad flabby, I suppose. Um, yeah, I think, I think drinking order is important when you're covering different styles to kind of get the most out of each one. Yep. Um, so I did... I put a lot of thought into this, David. Yeah, I <laughs> love it. No, it wasn't just like you just quickly wrote down yeah, this yeah, list yeah, yeah. on this bit of paper beforehand. It's nothing weeks, like that at all. Weeks of thinking. <laughs> and, and I'm really intrigued to know how important the eating of gingerbread uh, during oh, the process is. My new best well. friend, Justine, who... Uh, <laughs> oh, she's left the bar area, but she's made these amazing gingerbread cookies and... Um, currently chewing on one and it's absolutely delicious so thank you Justine you're amazing yeah, that, that, we'll see whether Justine ever listens uh, <laughs> uh, absolutely it's a, it's a nice little treat uh, here for us tonight at Burnley Brewing uh, we can't guarantee that there will be gingerbread here uh, gingerbread for all yeah. <laughs> um, we we should talk about the venue it's it's amazing. It, like it's, it's, it's really yeah it is a terrific space um, even with 
a hundred thousand people's couple of, you know a kilometer and a half down the road um it's a good crowd in here and very much decked out for Oktoberfest, which is happening yeah yeah we don't even have the Oktoberfest beers on tap yet yeah. um but um nikita our taproom manager is an absolute superstar and she's got now six years of doing this so um has it down pat um, yeah, we've got the blue and white checkered flags up. We've got posters everywhere for those, you know, listening in. Um, don't have the signs out just yet. That starts 6 p.m. tomorrow on the 16th of September. Everyone mm-hmm. gets down to Richmond. Um, but, yeah, and currently, I suppose, we're sitting in the brewery area, so we get a beautiful view from the back corner of the venue looking out at everyone. But, yeah, this is a typical Friday night. Richmond yeah. goes off. Love it. Awesome. Well, very soon we're going to be coming back and we're going to be moving on to the Vizen. Uh, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. We're going to press pause so that we can appreciate both the beers and the gingerbread. Oh, God, this beer is delicious. <laughs> Welcome back to the Corin. Did I do it well? Did <laughs> yeah, I do it well? You did it perfectly. <laughs> you did it perfectly. Um, so, Australia's... The Southern Hemisphere's very first... Crystal Vice. Uh, yeah, I have no way to back up that claim, but let's roll with it. Yeah, let's just roll with let's it. Let yeah. someone else write the letter to prove you're wrong. Yeah, because yeah. I don't know of any other one, so it's got to be true. Yeah, I can't think of any other... No, I genuinely can't. So, What was Redback from Matilda Bay? It was definitely oh, so... a wheat beer. Was that, was that like, um, heavily filtered or fused oh, no, or No, no, it wasn't. No, because you used to roll a Redback. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, so that wasn't a... Oh, God. And and welcome to helping Warren with his memory problems. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's beyond help. But, yeah, this is delicious. What made you decide to... You asked. I think that's a good question. Absolutely. Well, also, let's explain what a crystallisation is for people who've never encountered the style before. For sure. Because all they do is drink Southern Hemisphere beers, Mm. and there's never been one in the Southern Hemisphere before. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose just uh, Hefeweizens, Weizens, German wheat beers, whatever you like to call them, are not very common. Um, in Australia, unless you're drinking imported Weinstefana or Schoferhofer. Um, um, Our founding brewer, Michael, has been on the show and talked about it a bunch, very famously trained in Germany, worked with some of the biggest lager and Weizen breweries in Germany and knows how to make a very good Weizen. Um, And we wanted to do at least one in the pack, but because we feel we do them so well, we're like, well, let's just showcase... Our shit. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and yeah, so when, when the idea to do a collab with Range came out, we're like, all right, they're the kings of hype beers and hazy IPAs. So, like, let's stick on, like, the wheat train because hazy IPAs uh, use a lot of wheat, malted or unmalted. Uh, Weizens use a lot too. And we're like, well, we can't just brew a straight-up Weizen because we have one of those in our core range. Uh-huh. Um, and then I just, I don't know, if we're harking back to, like, some of my first non-macro lager drinks. Let's do that. Let's hark back. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's go, David. (laughs) I remember being uh, freshly, uh, legally drinking, being 18 or 19, whacking on a shirt with my two best friends. I thought you were going to say 1892 for a minute there, which is going to be very impressive. (laughs) That's probably something significant happened in Germany in 1892, I'm sure, with beer. Um, But yeah, we we used to go to the Belgian beer garden down in St Kilda. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. And this is before I was drinking Hop Hog or Pacific Ale or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And we would sit there and drink uh, Leffer and all of these German beers that I cannot recall the names of and think we were so fucking sophisticated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I was 
there. But, but also just sitting there just going, holy shit, like the flavours of these beers are so complex but yep. so drinkable. And I remember having a Weinstefan, a Crystal Weizen, and after having lots of Schürferhofer over that year, I was like, this beer is clear. And I'm like, how? I don't know how you do that. And and having now homebrewed for a few years and being a pro brewer for six or seven years or so, um, we're like, all right, let's try and flex a little bit or like let's really push ourselves too. And so, yeah, I suppose for those that don't know, Crystal Weizen is a German wheat beer that has no finings, no filtration, but you make it as clear as you possibly can using brewing magic. Uh-huh. And, well, yeah, let's have some insights into that brewing magic. Is it all but through a special footy sock to strain those things out? Oh, or how do you that'd do it? be absolutely delicious. <laughs> um, no, luckily, like, uh, we... I think Michael would have talked about it on the podcast before. We've done some significant upgrades to equipment at our Dandenong Production Brewery, and included in that is a absolute state-of-the-art Alpha Laval centrifuge. And... Uh, in Germany, they famously have the Reinheitsgebot, the German purity law. So I was you... saying that at the town hall a lot today. I confused the Lord Mayor. You say it three times fast. Go. <laughs> I could <possibly. laughs> um, Yeah, so famously, you can only use uh, water, barley, wheat, um, hops, and yeast. God, I almost forgot hops. Yeah, I, was worried, I was worried where you go with uh, that. Man. Oh, I'm tired. <laughs> um, and so uh, to get around that, you, you can't add finding agents. Um, you can't do any of that. So when they lager, they were lagering in like cellars and caves and just keeping a beer really cold for a, a long amount of time to get their lagers clear. Um, because this Weizen and, you know, the Crystal Weizen's done in Germany, we're following Reinheitsgebot. There's no findings. There's no filtration. There's no biofine as a, a microplastic type product that some brewers use in Australia. None of that. So when this beer was in fermenter, it was as hazy as a normal wheat beer is and one that you would be served in a pint glass or, or a stein. Um, and so we centrifuged it as slowly as we possibly could after giving it some nice cold conditioning time in fermenter. Mm-hmm. And then we were like, not clear enough. So then we purged another packaging tank and we centrifuged it from packaging tank to packaging tank. So it's a double centrifuged Weizen. Wow. That is, it is not crystal clear, but... It's bloody close. It's really close. And uh, it's, yeah. I'm just, I'm super proud of it. Um, Mitch, the head brewer from Range, uh, we had a lot of back and forth about how we went about this recipe. Um, I suppose if we're comparing it to our Core Range Weizen, the Burnley Core Range Weizen is, uh, I'm looking at the tap board right now, 5.5% ABV. It's, um, it's really full-bodied. It's got 50% wheat mm-hmm. malt, which is Reinheitsgebot when you're making a German wheat beer. Yep. This one does too. But we're like, we, we want to make something that's super-duper approachable and almost like a gateway Weizen for people that... Um, we need it in Australia. Weizen is fantastic. Yeah. Because yeah. um, yeah, a lot of Australians, they look at the word Weizen and they're like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. And maybe some have had a Redback from Matilda Bay years and years ago. Uh-huh. Um, or maybe someone's had a wheat beer, but it's not a wheat beer. It's completely different yeast. It's... Um, yeah, so we wanted to make a gateway Weizen, so we lowered the ABV. I believe this one's 5.0%, um, so it's not, like, super-duper light, but it's, you know, it's, it's lighter than our Weizen. Yep. We deliberately made it have less body, so it's um, it's not by any means thin, but it's definitely a lot more approachable than our core-range Weizen or a standard Weizen. Yep. Uh, we also threw some Perla hops, which is a German hop, at it to impart a little bit of citrus character, make it a little more citrus-heavy. And we fermented it in a way that it probably has more clove than banana, to be honest. Yeah, so yeah. I was going to ask about oh, yeah, the flavors. Flavors. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell us what an ester is. A ester? Great question, Warren. You came prepared. <laughs> Am I prepared? <laughs> um, so uh, German wheat beers, it's a lot about the 50% plus wheat malt to get that body and get that kind of um, malt 
texture and flavour. Yep. Um, but really the hero of a Weizen is the German wheat yeast. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a lot of brewers in Australia... They haven't. They don't have the German training that Michael had, and's now kind of passed on to me and my team. A lot of the German wheat beers that I found, uh, I even brewed some at Hargrave Seal. They're banana bombs. It's yeah, nothing but yeah. banana. And yep. the way to get the balance of banana and clove, or to get a lot of clove, mm-hmm. is to do some very specific things at very specific times during the fermentation with this yeast. Sure. And so when when we brew a pale ale or a lager at Burnley. We test the gravity, the pH, look at the temperature mm-hmm. like once a day in the morning. I obviously monitor the temperature to make sure it's all working, but yep. for this and we're checking it every three hours because there is a very specific point when we have to make changes to the temperature and to the pressure that we're fermenting it at, and yeah. I'm not spilling the details. No, that's great. Is this all that, that's, that's our yeah. black magic. Yeah. Is um, this all about it. sort of making the yeast almost unhappy for a very Definitely. Short oh, trip. yes, back to your question, Esters. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, God, getting down a Weizen uh, tangent. Yeah. Um, yeah, so esters are created by yeast. Yep. And yeast will always create esters. You can brew a lager um, pretty cold, and there might still be a hint of an ester or something. But essentially, if yeast... I'm talking very generally. If yeast is happy, yep. probably going to get minimal esters if you're using yeast strains that are considered neutral. Mm-hmm. USO5 is an American ale strain. Um, that a lot of brewers use to make pale ales and IPAs. And if you ferment that at the right temperature, it is neutral. There's, there's no real esters. Yep. If you take a lager yeast that is normally fermented, you know, between 10 and 14 degrees. I see you looking at the TV, Warren. How oh, the blues sorry, going? <laughs> Not I'm well. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, he really—he's quite interested in esters. It, it, I it, am actually if, interested. If you, if you in then take a lager yeast that should be fermented at you know 10 to 14 degrees, yep. and you ferment it at 18 to 21 degrees, you're going to get esters in the form of it could be citrus notes, it could be spicy notes, it could be. You can get by, off byproducts, so yep. things can get really like sulfury, really mm-hmm. kind of eggy, or um, yeah, just kind of like kind of nasty type yeah, of smells. Yeah. If, if you're pushing yeast to areas and temperatures that they don't want to go, mm-hmm. you can do the same thing by not putting enough yeast into a beer. Yep. If you what we call underpitch, you will get esters because the yeast is unhappy and it's like ah fuck you, <laughs> I'm gonna make all these smells that you don't want. Yeah, um, it's almost the same if you overpitch yeast, you get some um, off flavors or aromas as well. So, German wheat beer yeast, um, you deliberately underpitch it a little bit. Is okay. typically what people say. I've seen evidence um, if you pitch it at what's considered a normal rate, you'll still get esters, but maybe not quite as much. Yep. So, yeah, it's always going to throw off banana, clove, sometimes a bit of citrus, but um, the way to get the right balance is, is heavy controlling of fermentation. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so we made deliberate changes to this crystal to get it a bit clovey and a bit citrusy with just a hint of banana. Um, we made it really clear, or as clear as we could. Uh, it's just a really approachable Weizen. Gateway Weizen. That's what we should have called it. I can't believe it. We missed a trick. <laughs> or a T-shirt. It yeah. needs to be a T-shirt. Um, yeah, I can't wait for the range people to taste this because, yeah, yeah Mitch, he, he flew down from um, Brizzy for the brew day too and hang oh, out, awesome. hung out on the brew deck with me. Um, the thing about wheat beers is... Did he is, have to clean out the fermenters? I wish I made him do some hard work. <laughs> now nah, we, we, we had a great time talking about uh, non-hazy bisons and hazy IPAs. Um, but, yeah, it, the, the other thing about bisons, I suppose, is, like, when we make um, a pale ale... Uh, when we mash, which is mixing the grain with uh, hot water mm-hmm. to extract wort, the unfermented beer, from the grain. I'm getting real sciencey now. Um, 
typically that's an hour. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with a, a vice and with the amount of uh, malted wheat in that, you have to undertake what's called a step mash. So you have to step that, that mash, that mix of grain and water through different temperatures for specific amounts of time to um, get protein haze, to get the right amount of sugar, to do okay. all of these different things. Um, and so the total mash, instead of being an hour, for us was uh, two hour, 45 minutes. Okay. All right. So it's a long-ass brew day. Yeah, yeah, that's... Um, so we had a lot of time to just talk shit up on that brew deck. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love it. Yeah. Um, this is probably my proudest beer out of the eight, I think. Yeah. One, because uh, I'm claiming it's the only one in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> the Southern Hemisphere. But, but I think... Southern but don't We're going, yeah, short. That, yeah. Um, yeah, I just think there's a lot of love that went into it and a lot of time and effort. Um, didn't plan the double centrifuge. I was hoping we could do it in one. We did it in two. Uh, used a sheer load of CO2 to make sure all those vessels were purged and, you know, we're not dosing the beer with oxygen. But, yeah, I hope this... People that don't like wheat beer and don't like banana or clovey beers, I hope they can drink this and be like, oh, maybe I do like Weizen. Yeah, great. Yeah. So next up, I think, we'll go from the gateway Weizen to the... The the crack Weizen. <laughs> the full on. This is the love it or hate advice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to press pause on the record before Warren uh, extemporizes on that thought any further. What are we drinking, Cal? We're not going to talk about water chemistry. No, no. we're not talking um, about water so chemistry. We had so much water chemistry talk <laughs> during the break. It's great yeah. to be here at Burnley and have that opportunity to have such intense water chemistry discussions. Oh, no. No, no, no. That's not what I'm here for. <laughs> um, I, we, are, we are deep into Weizen country at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so taking us like from the Crystal Weizen to the second Weizen in our, in our mix pack is a collaboration with Mountain Culture, uh, and it is a Rausch Weizen. So um, when we were putting together the mix pack and the idea for collaborations came about, um, both Chloe and then also uh, one of our amazing brewers, Becky, are both really good friends with DJ and uh, the team at Mountain Culture. And so it was a no-brainer to ask them if they wanted to. Mountain Culture are just loved by everyone and are making some incredible beers um, out of the Blue Mountains in New South Wales. And uh, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, they did... Um, I suppose it's like a semi-piss take, I suppose, a Roush festival where every brewery that came brewed a smoked beer. Mm. And the idea was incredible, and I wish I had have gone. And so when, yeah, the crew at Mountain Culture were like, yeah, let's do it, we are like, smoky beer, please. <laughs> love it. Um, and, yeah, so we love Brew and Weizen's, obviously, at Burnley. Um, DJ... And Pat, um, Jacob, my 2IC, and I had a, a, a Zoom call with them and we're talking it through and we just wanted to be a little... Yeah, it's a cheeky beer, but it's a really complex beer. Um, so this one looks and tastes more like your traditional Weizen. and it's quite cloudy. Um, there's, again, it's Reinheitsgebot, so it's more than 50% uh, wheat in, in this beer. Um, again, we're using the traditional German wheat strain, um, the key with this one is imparting a smoked character. And for those that have had smoked beers, it's a real spectrum. You can have, like, really subtle, subtle smoked porters, I suppose. Like my, one of my favourite smoked beers is Blackman Smoked Porter. Mm. Arthur. It's won a bunch yeah, of awards over the years. I come from Torquay. I used to go to the pub and just knock it off whenever I'd go visit the parents. And, like, incredible beer. Yeah. Um, 
Then you've got proper Roush beer, and Burnley has done proper Roush beer before where it's 50% smoked malt and you're chewing on ham. Mm, yeah, yeah, totally. And Michael and I used to butt heads because he would love to chew on ham, like literally or figuratively, um, <laughs> and I am less partial to it. Um, last year we did a couple of night series beers. There was a Hellas Roush beer and there was a completely forgotten what the other night beer was, but there was a, a smoked Hellas, essentially. Mm-hmm. And that was about, I think... 15% of the malt bill was smoked malt. So, so can you explain that bit again yeah. for our newest of craft beer aficionados? Sure. So you take a probably a Pilsner malt, um, which is a delicate, beautiful malt that you can brew a really nice pale lager with, and then you have it smoked over some variety of timber. And the I suppose the most infamous uh, smoked malt that comes out of Deutschland would be Beechwood smoked malt. Uh, and so we use Weimann as one of the German malt suppliers. Weimann Beechwood smoked malt in this one. Um, only, I think, about 10%. So we want, with this beer, we want the smoke to be present, but to work and kind of meld in with your typical Weizen profile of banana and clove. Mm-hmm. So compared to the Crystal Weizen, this does have more of a balance and a mix of banana and clove. Um, there's hops there for a little bit of bitterness, but it really it was just mainly for balance. There's no hop character. And, yeah, you, you smell this beer and you're like, that's a Weizen, that's banana and clove. And then you sip it and just on the back end of it, you're like, ah, there it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's still really approachable. And I think that, that was key when, when we were talking to Pat and DJ. Um, we wanted this beer to be super drinkable. And I think we, we nailed the brief. So much so that um, Michael popped by the Dandenong Brewery to pick up some old homebrew stuff of his the other weekend, took some staffies of all the beers we'd packed to that point and messaged myself and the team to be like, nice work on that Roush fights. And oh, so if nice. it gets Michael's yeah. sick of approval, then yeah. I'm a happy, happy man. <laughs> it's really lovely. You're completely right. It's, it, it's complex, but it's sessionable. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, and I think la- last year, for those that tried our Oktoberfest mix pack, we had one smoked beer in the mix, and it was a Lichtenheiner, a smoked sour. Mm, yeah. And already sour, you're going to turn some people off. But, like, it was heavily smoked. It was, like, yeah. chewing on sour ham. And so I, I feel like across the whole pack this year, we went for drinkability. Yep. Like, let's nail German styles. Let's give them some elements of complexity, but, like, let's make them super-duper drinkable. Mm-hmm. And this beer would have been really easy to mess that up and to make it kind of off-putting to some people, but we, we I think we did it right. Yep. Um, What's yeah. also great, apart from the drinkability, is they're really pleasing to the eye as well. Like, all yeah. of the cans are really attractive. They all look good sitting next to each other. So you're going to look fantastic coming out of the box. Yeah, yeah, that's it, exactly. When you're, yeah, when you're pulling them out, when you've... you've got a pack and you're looking at them i think it'll be really it's it, they'll be enjoyable to look at so um what was the ideas and some of the 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 thoughts behind the branding for this year's pack yeah so um if you haven't seen burnley oktoberfest packs before previously i mean the first time during the the lockdown period we had all the beer in kegs or in serving tanks at richmond and um we had to get those labels done so so fast that we were like bold colours, whack the flag of the town of origin on it, put the name on it, ABV, go. Last year, kind of the same, I suppose. We were so tied up in installing all the new brewery equipment. We, we had the eight styles mapped out, and then all of a sudden we were like, oh, God, we need, we need labels again. Yeah. So we went ahead and we went bold colours and flags. Um, 
this year we had more time to plan mm -hmm. and we, we had a really um, specific approach that we took with the can designs. Um, they're all kind of pastel-y colours, I suppose, yeah. quite nice and light. We've got some light yellows, purples, light blues, teals, mm -hmm. um, oranges. Um, I suppose in the past, we've had a couple of different graphic designers work with us, but one of our senior taproom staff, Bianca, um, uh, does some like tattoo work on the side and uh, does a lot of graphic design, and this is all of her. She is so good at what she does, and so... Um, yeah, instead of the flags, we do still have the flags really tiny on the back of the can with the, the blurb, the ABV and the ingredient list. But Tell the, me it's all about local government and town halls. <laughs> there, I reckon there's a couple of town halls on these cans. I think we're looking at a town hall right now. I reckon we're looking at the Bamberg town hall. Yeah, Bamberg. Um, uh, so something that Burnley is infamous for is spelling mistakes. <laughs> We've had cinnamon on a whip beer before. Uh, the it. famous Seltzer. Uh, <laughs> And uh, we, we were like, oh, yeah, I reckon we got away with that one this time. Bamberg spelled with a U instead of an E. Oh. <laughs> Michael pointed that one out to me when he took his damn staffies. I was like, ah, shit. Now, now what I want to know is, did, did he message first about how good the beer tasted or did he message about the typo first? I think he started with the good news and then broke the bad news. <laughs> um, so, anyway, continuing tradition, not purposefully. But, yeah, the other thing, too, is um, we've always used, like, plain silver cans and we've uh, put labels on them. Um, uh, I think I mentioned it earlier, a lot of what I want to do with Burnley is continue our German roots um, but kind of try and utilise Australian and local ingredients a lot more, um, reduce our footprint and just be more environmentally sustainable. And a big part of that is moving away from labels where we can to printed cans. So, um, yeah, we're, we're using digitally printed cans for these smaller specialty canning runs through uh, East Coast Canning at the moment, and, like, the quality of them is so good. Um, fair, like, the same lead times for me to order a label, it is to order a printed can, and it helps in the recycling of aluminium, um, less contamination to the aluminium recycling. Oh, yeah, there um, you go. Yeah, think about all of, like, the paper or uh, whatever the hell a label's made of and yep. the glue and all of that. And, yeah, sure, there's some ink for these, but um, infinitely better for the, for the whole scheme. Um, it also just looks cleaner, and yeah, totally. you can, you can utilise yeah. the entire can. And, um, yeah, it, it's, it's something that I was really pushing for, and it was really only in the last year it's become kind of financially viable to do it. They're a lot more expensive, but the technology's got better. East Coast Canning and a couple of other companies are doing it now, and so, yeah. Um, we are, we are, we are how, did you, so... how did you pick the town halls that you've chosen to put on. Oh. I mean, I know you love local government as much as I do. Yeah. But, you know, um, oh, that is a Bianca and our taproom manager, Nikita, question. Honestly, they, they've smashed it out of the park. Um, they're all kind of landscape pictures on the front. We've put, like, for the Roush fights and under it, it says smoked wheat beer. Under the Leipziger Goza that we'll have soon, it says salted sour beer. So we've made it kind of more intuitive to punters that are purchasing these beers. They might not know what these styles are. Um... I was definitely going to say something else. I forgot. Oh, if you look in the landscape photo of every can, our famous brewery dog, Harry, is hiding in every single one. <laughs> That's excellent. I love it. Yeah. yeah that is and, and, and look, Harry is Michael and Chloe's dog, and, and Michael yeah. and Chloe aren't at Burnley Brewing anymore, but, like, Harry lives on. He is our mascot for life. And, uh, yeah, it's just a... That was, I, I love that. It's just a nice little wholesome addition to those can designs. Brilliant. Now, how long before your dog... Makes a, I a have beer. a black labradoodle, eight years old, called Olive, and it's only a matter of time, David. <laughs> I, th I think at some point, I don't know if anyone remembers that uh, we did a Burnley Brewing calendar at some point. I don't know who saw it, but 
Honestly, I, I, I got recruited. No, and I'm intrigued. Oh, it was sexy. <laughs> um, I, 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 got, I started at Burnley in October 2020. Literally my second week, we did a Burnley brewing calendar. And there was some raunchy photos in there. I'm throwing buckets of soapy water at Michael. And I'm like, wow, this is where I work now, huh? Cool. Um, I was lying on some malt bags with my long hair splayed out, like blowing kisses at the camera. So we're thinking, we're, I don't know, we're due for a new calendar. Maybe not as sexy. Maybe a lot of like employee dogs. Yeah, I was <laughs> really wondering where the dog bit was going to get yeah. back. Oh, we are not doing sexy dogs. No, <laughs> no way. No way. No way. Wholesome calendar, David. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I'm going to try and get my labradoodle on a, on a can. Why not? Yeah, love it. Yeah. Well, we um, finished off with Seeker last night with Dougie's chocolate oh, water, yeah, that's which is it. there. Yeah, yeah, there's the chocolate lab up there. So we're all about we're all about the dogs. Everyone loves dogs. Dogs are the best. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, the cans look amazing. When all eight are in a row, oh my gosh, they look so so good. Terrific. And then uh, it's probably time for us to get to the next one. So we'll hit pause on this one uh, and we'll see you in five seconds. Again. Welcome back to Water Talk with Warren and David. Here we are with Kel Fowler. We're here. We're entering into the discussion of the 5th of the Oktoberfest collaboration beers that we've been experiencing here tonight. Uh, some fantastic ones. We're about to have the Leipziger Goza. And uh, we're here for Water Talk because, well, Cal likes nothing more than to talk about water and its important role in brewing. If ever you're down at the brewery, come on in and talk about this matter with him. Uh, and, well... I, uh, educate me, Kel. Why is water in Leipzig different to water everywhere else? Did Stephen Matthews put you up to this, David? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah uh, so, yeah, this is a bit of a palate cleanser um, amongst our six. So, yeah, Leipzig is a, a town in Germany famous for this particular style, a Goza, which is a, uh, I suppose the modern interpretation of it is a salted coriander sour beer. And uh, the reason that that's the way the style is is the, uh, the river or the water that like, runs through the town of Leipzig, you know, centuries ago, was very minerally and had an element of, like, salt in it from, just from the water runoff. Uh, I... Warren and I were asking each other beforehand in the desperate hope that we'd look intelligent when this came up, but we didn't know why the Leipzig yeah, was yeah. goes out. And so it's not like an overtly sour style. It, the salinity is there and it, it does add that savoury element, but it's not in your face. I think modern interpretations of both Berliner Weisser um, and Goza, two German wheat-driven sours, are in your face, like puckering acidity, and if people brew a Goza, it is salty as. Um, so we, as we do with all of our German beers, try and brew them as traditionally as possible. Our water is not salty or very minerally, so we, you know, add brewing salts and, and table salt, and we also foraged some salt bush from the Mornington Peninsula that we added to our mash, our grain water mix for this beer, and it adds a salty, savoury element, but it's kind of in the mix, kind of similar to how that smoked malt was in the mix of the Rauschweizen. The, the salt is there to complement and as part of the style, but it's not smacking you in the face. It's not making you, like, search for a glass of water. Um, so that, that, is, that is the Leipziger Goza. That's, that's, that's why it is the way it is. In terms of the coriander edition, I don't know as much as Michael does. I wouldn't be able to tell you why that is, but um, maybe it was to mask crappy qualities of original goes yeah. I have no idea yeah. but, but it is traditionally a part of this too so we got some coriander seeds and, and crushed them minutes before adding them late into the boil of this beer um, this one's a collaboration with Sailor's Grave and uh, I've collabed with Gab and Chris and the crew before when I was at Hargraves Hill I think back in the day we did a uh, bramble it was a blackberry and elderflower saison and so Sailor's Grave they 
source all sorts of uh, foods, um, seaweeds and things from the sea. They live and work out of uh, Orbost mm. down in um, southeast Gippsland, so like near the southeast corner of Australia. And they work with a lot of local farms and producers. And so a lot of their beers have these really amazing additions of fruits and foods. And so that was always going to be a key element in this beer. I suppose a traditional Leipziger Goza is, um, yeah, a, a salty, wheat-driven, lightly sour beer that I suppose is pretty subtle in flavour. I think you get a little bit of light, lemony citrus just from the yeast um, and the acidity. Um, but, you know, we're working with Sailor's Grave, so we couldn't just leave it at that. So Gab sourced Maya lemons and bergamot through some of her suppliers. I had never really... Or bergamot, for those of Berg- us who yeah. uh, come from central Victoria. Yeah. I would have said bergamot, and then I was on the phone to Gab, and she said bergamot. I'm like, that's it, yeah, then. That has <laughs> um, it. And, and, I mean, normally, um, like... It's like real- oregano. I think oregano and bergamot all come from Very the same true. place. Very true. Um, should we just talk language now? No? <laughs> yeah, so um, I suppose a lot of the times us brewers are wanting to control every asset of like beer production. And so when we typically do fruited beers, we're using aseptically um, produced fruit purees. They're easy to use. Uh, you know that there's no contamination of wild yeast or anything. Yeah. Um, the Maya lemons and the bergamot that we use uh, were whole fruit. So um, Gab had them delivered to us in Dandenong. And then... Um, a part of our, you know, really nice fancy gear that we've got out of Dandenong is what we call a hop gun, and it's essentially like a mini tank that you can pressurise. You can hook it up to your fermenter, and either during fermentation or post-fermentation, you add hops, fruit, coffee beans, mint, whatever you want to the hop gun, and you can spin the beer through it instead of adding things directly to your fermenter. And so you can stop solid matter if you want to get into the fermenter. You can still impart a lot of flavour. It's a very efficient way to uh, dry hop beers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the way we dry hop. Um, but, yeah, for this one, we spun... Yeah, we had all these whole Maya lemons and bergamot, um, cut them in half, gave them a really quick soak in, like, very hot water, get um, a bit of the oil content out, make them um, not infect our beer. <laughs> and then we uh, added them to the hop gun and spun the beer through it. And so, yeah, it was really amazing. There's some great footage on our Instagram. I think Nikita has put up, um, like, a montage video. And as part of it, after the the spinning through the fruit had happened and all of the beer was pushed back into the fermenter, poor old, uh, I think it was Eloise and Becky were on late shift that day and they had to pull all the pipe work off the bottom of the hop gun and they were literally just throwing fists up through the bottom of the hop gun trying to pull out half bits of fruit it's amazing footage and i'm glad it wasn't me <laughs> um yeah so um it's it's not again it's not in your face we're using a whole fruit we're not using it in excessive amounts this beer is all about like real drinkability so the salinity is not in your face the, the sourness is pretty strong but it's not like lambic belgian beer style acidity and then you get that... I'm sorry, I'm just sniffing it. You get that perfumey bergamot come through a little bit, and then I get the Maya lemons on the back end, and it's... This is a beautiful palate cleanser, but it's also a beer that, like, in the middle of summer, I would smash so much of it. I think it's 4.5%. It's the lowest ABV of our Oktoberfest beers as well. Where is it? I've lost the can. It doesn't matter. I'm pretty sure it's 4.5. Yeah, it's... um, I'm... I know I said Crystal Weizen was my favourite, but this was probably my second. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Gab and Chris are very busy people running a brewery. They couldn't make it to the brew day, but their assistant brewer from Hungary, David, came, and David, their sales rep as well. And yeah, We uh, love David. He's got an extraneous Y in his name, so he's our kind of David. Yeah, I mean, why would you have David not spelt like normal David, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, and just all, oh yeah, everyone in, they're just lovely people, and they had a lot of say in the recipe too, how we went about the salt, the coriander, um, all of the weird additions, and uh, it's a, yeah, I'm really proud of it. Terrific. Yeah. I, I want to ask, you know, we, one of our favourite questions here in the cool room is about your favourite bit of equipment. And we've spoken about a few along the way there. Is the hop gun the favourite? Is Oh, the... yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, so when Michael, he did a lot of the um, designing of all the equipment, custom done through Bespoke Brew Solutions when we were doing Dandenong upgrades. Um, the hop gun was my idea. So Jacob and I, having worked at CBCO, we were very familiar with using a hop gun. Colonial or CBCO now have got huge fermenters. And so just throwing hops through the top of a tank like the small breweries do is very efficient. And so when we were going to upgrade our Dandenong facility to like 5,000 litre brew lengths, um, I was like, well, it's efficient for us if we're brewing pale ale to, get to do a hop gun. And um, Michael added it to our list of new gear. All the equipment turned up. Um, I came back from leave and I was like, cool, all right, I'm going to have like two weeks to like put it together, clean it, kind of write an SOP for it. And he was like, we're dry hopping tomorrow. <laughs> and I had a very stressful 24 hours, but it worked. And um, yeah, it shaves like two days off our post-fermentation time with dry hopped beers. And it's a really nice way to add fruit to beers mid-fermentation. Um, and it's... I don't know, it can be pretty unsafe to be up a ladder on yeah. top of a tank, even with yeah. ladder hooks, and adding stuff in case CO2 comes through your hot port, knocks you out, fall down a ladder, and, you know, do serious harm. Totally. It means people aren't getting off the ground. Yep. So from an OHS perspective, it's amazing. So and that is definitely my favourite bit of kit. And do you... I mean, I've been searching... Warren knows this for a long time. I've been searching for someone else who sings Hop Gun to the tune of Love Gun by Kiss whenever uh, they use it. Oh, Are I'm, you that person? I'm not a Kiss fan, but our Hop Gun is called Maverick. Oh, for some Tom Cruise yeah, fans out there. Absolutely, really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that might be my best work in my seven years of brewing. We've that's the maybe that becomes our next regular call <laughs> room question. Uh, so Warren, Wood. I think like what nickname do you have? Oh, have if you, if you yeah. get Michael at Devil Bend on and you ask him about stupid nicknames he's given uh, stainless steel equipment, he will have like an a dossier. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the fermenter right behind me, fermenter four, is called Miss Chandelier. I don't know why, <laughs> but it's always been that way and I haven't questioned it. That's excellent. I love it. Um, should we go into our last beer? I reckon we're about ready to make that move. We're going to have some time for some audience questions. Uh, this is a magnificent beer and we're going to get yeah. onto the Dunkel very, very soon. Here we are, we're here with Cookie Talk with uh, David and Warren. We were joined by our friend Cal, and we're enjoying a delicious uh, gingerbread cookie shaped like a pint glass, baked awesome. for us by our friend Justine. Justine, Justine, <laughs> Justine. <laughs> we were going to talk about beers, but I don't know. The cookie, no. This went beautifully with the beer. How, how do those things work? Why do those flavours work together? Oh my gosh. Um, the gingerbread biscuits remind me of my, my grandmother grew up in um, in Prague and like emigrated to Australia during the, during World like War II and used to make the most amazing gingerbread biscuits and like it's bringing me back. 
She loved a Czech Pilsner too, actually. Like my grandma, she'd be having a great time here tonight. Um, yeah, the the sweetness and the spiciness of that gingerbread yep. kind of really works well with that multi-rich, um, bready mm-hmm. flavours of the dunkel. So let's that, talk about the flavours. Why this beer last? And I guess we didn't really ask, but why the, why the goza when we had that? What yeah. was the sense in having that beer after the uh, the vices? Yeah, um, I always like a sour beer um, in the midst of a, I suppose, a drinking session when you're trying different beers just to uh, kind of reset the palate. Yeah. Um, particularly like, I don't know, Aussies drink a lot of pale ale and IPA and over the course of a few, that bitterness will probably build up a bit. And uh, I, I just tend to go to a sour beer with the acidity over, say, like a, a go back to a lager. Yep. And so essentially the way we're drinking tonight is how I go out drinking with our good friend Steve Matthews. <laughs> Steve's got more mentions tonight than on the actual shows that he's been on. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, I hope so. he pays up soon. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, and then that kind of leads us really nicely into our last beer, the, the Dunkel. So um, every beer that we've done in our Oktoberfest mix pack this year is different to last year except the Dunkel. And the Dunkel is just beloved by uh, Chloe and Michael, myself, most of the team and so it's just one that we have to do every year and Jacob and myself have done our own spin on a lot of the recipes and and taken all of what Michael has taught us and and his recipes and tweaked them in kind of our image except for this one Mm. this one I looked at last year's recipe and was just like that is so good Um, the only thing I did I think I added just a touch more colour so um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how much Australian punters uh, know about Dunkel and Schwarzbier, but I think when people get a dark or a black lager, they expect it to be jet black like a stout. I know yeah. a few of my friends do. And a Dunkel, if you look up what the style is, it's a very deep amber to brown. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm just looking through the tulip glasses of a few of our friends here, and I'm super stoked. It's crystal clear. Like, you can see your fingerprint through the ruby hue of that beer. Like... If that was a pale beer, you would yep. see your soul through it. Um, <laughs> it is just, it looks gorgeous. And it's got this um, very off-white, creamy head to it. Mm-hmm. It's a real showcase of Munich malt, if nothing else. And Munich malt, um, instead of using that as a base compared to Pilsner, you get a lot of rich, bready flavours. And then we add a couple of specialty malts in that I'll keep secret just to give it some colour and extra kind of malt complexity. There shouldn't be any roast character or anything in this Dunkel. It should be rich, malty... Um, there's hops in there for balance, but it's this is a malt-driven beer. And, uh, yeah, this one's with Shapeshifter Brewing. Um, Chloe and Carla, the lead brewer at Shapeshifter, um, we joke that they're long-lost sisters, but maybe they are sisters. We don't know. <laughs> so, like, the ties to Carla go back ages. She's a superstar. And, um, and yeah, James, the, the owner and... Um, I don't know if they call him the head brewer, but he's definitely the owner of Shapeshifters, also just a total legend. And, um, yeah, had a great time collabing on this one. This Because the recipe from last year was so damn good, we kind of just like, we're like, what do you think of this recipe? We like it. They're like, yeah, we like it too. It's like, cool, let's do it. <laughs> um, they're coming over next Saturday. We're having a few of the collab partners over. So and is that their involvement? Who's um, coming over next Saturday to uh, drink it? I is just want to the... drink with them, yeah. They're like very good friends of us. And, um, yeah. Um, I think last year they took a couple of kegs of our Dunkel that we did and took them over to South Australia for a dark beer takeover. So there's oh, wow. just a love of Dunkel. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think this is just a straight-down-the-line beer. Michael's recipe is perfect. And uh, we're... Us, yeah. We just kept it as is. I love it. Um, 
I hope this leads into a promotion piece and isn't something that gets cut out. But uh, next week, if, if next Saturday, when people come down and have a few beers at Burnley Brewing, will they be able to say hello to the brewers? Is that the idea? Yeah, so, the... so today is the 15th of September. I'm not sure when this podcast will drop, but um, our Oktoberfest launches tomorrow on the 16th of September at 6pm, and all of our mixed packs and singular skews of beers will, uh, will go for sale then. Um, we've got the three taproom-only kegged beers that we're doing. There's a bock, 6.5% bock that we've done with Cornella and Brewers Collective. And so myself and one of the sales guys are going to head up to Bendigo and do an event up there that they've awesome. set up. That a really beautiful example I'm of a bock. spending a lot of quality time in Bendigo. Let me know when you're up there. So. Hell yeah. Um, we have done a hoppy kolsch. Kilsch, sorry, Michael, um, with, with the crew at Bonehead. And that was a really good collaborative beer. Casey, who's Sobra Mesa, is also the head brewer at Bonehead. And we had a lot of back and forth. And um, it's probably, I suppose the Gozer's got a bit of a twist to it, but the, the Kirsch is Reinheitsgebot. But we, um, we love New Zealand hops. And so we just decided to dry hop it with, like, Mochueka and Wakasu. And love it, it is, I suppose, yeah. like... When we have 13 taps of Oktoberfest beers for a month and someone comes in and wants a pale ale, they're going to be disappointed. And so that one is still very much the body, the crispness, the yeast of a Kirsch, but it's got that kind of like citrusy New Zealand twist on it. And I, we're sitting in a working brewery, like 15 minutes before we started recording this podcast, I finished kegging that beer. And that's and why I'm so minutes and sweaty. This podcast, you're going to be back and, to it. Uh, yeah, the bock yeah. is up in the serving tank, and I have to do the three kegs for uh, take up to Bendigo. So, um, what wow. a late night coming up. But yeah. that's the workings of, I suppose that's, you know, being a head brewer and Burnley Brewery, that's what we do. Um, yeah, and then there's one other beer actually that I've been pushing um, to do for a couple of years now. It was almost going to be a Gabs beer a couple of years ago. We're doing a German IPA that is taproom only. It is um, essentially... What does that mean? What yeah, is it? German? Yeah, yeah. yeah, throw it at me. Um, so we pretty much took the bones of our... Uh, it's a West Coast IPA that we've done a few times. We called it the Flex. It's a West Coast IPA. I took the bones of that, made sure that all of the, the malt was German Weimar malt. I put a touch of rye malt in it for a bit of spiciness. Okay. And then I've used a bunch of German hops that are more modern and, and ones that we don't predominantly use at Burnley. So there's... Uh, Mandarina Bavaria that throws out a lot of um, mandarin character, mm, yeah, if you wouldn't surprise, know. Surprise. Yeah, um, I used a couple. The, of, the Germans aren't particularly imaginative when it yeah. comes to naming things like a, that. A couple of hops, uh, Callista and Ariana, that I I didn't know about until I started looking up modern hops that I could get hold of, and they've got some really interesting characters. Um, apparently, one's got a bit of raspberry, tobacco, oak. Wow. Um, one stone fruit with berries. I'm like, it's, it sounds a bit like Mosaic from America a bit. And then I used in the dry hop, I also dry hopped this beer an hour before the podcast as well. It's all happening today. Um, it I really also... is like we are legitimately sitting like, you know, a metre away. Yeah, we can reach incredible. out and touch yeah. all of these things. I could cause merry hell with the rest of Oktoberfest. Please don't. Please don't. Yeah. Um, like that then... Portuguese town where it was flooded with red wine. Did you hear about that one? Um, a no. couple million litres <laughs> down the main street. Oh, God. Yeah. I've heard horror stories about breweries. It hasn't happened here yet, touch yeah. wood. So touch a lot of wood. But, yeah, we're right in the middle of it. Yeah. It's amazing. So the one beer that won't be ready for our launch on the 16th will be the German IPA. That's going to launch next weekend. Cool. And so Saturday the 23rd um, from, at 12 p.m., myself, all of the production crew, the sales crew, and a few of the collab people are going to be hanging out and having a merry old time. Awesome. Are you going to whack the bung with a 
Oh, no, no. I mean, Michael loves the tradition and all of that stuff, but this is enough limelight for me. I'm not doing that. Great. Um, I think it's just... I'm just looking forward to... It's been nice tonight to taste through the beers and uh, have the time to do it, um, but I look forward to doing it more mindlessly next Saturday. Yeah. Can I ask, having tasted them all, is there anything that's actually tasted a bit different to what you expected? Is there anything out of this experience? I reckon the only one... I, the, the Goza, we were like... I've never used bergamot. I didn't know... And I, um, Gab said it would be perfumey, and I'm like, how perfumey? Mm. Um, but I, we've been blown away with how, how nice that Goza is. And the only other one was the Crystal Weizen ended up being a lot clovier than I thought. I wanted a, a hint more banana, you know? You're always your own harshest critic when you're a brewer, and nothing's ever perfect. But, I, yeah, last night I did a tasting of all eight beers with the taproom team. And it was really nice. I'm yeah. happy with all of them. Yeah. Yeah. You should be. They're delicious. They've been great to drink. It's been great to sit here and try them with you too and, and kind, of get the, kind of get the inside word on them all. Yeah. yeah. It's been good, yeah. To, I mean, it was daunting, to be honest, because Michael started all the beers at Burnley, wrote yep. all the recipes for five and a half years. And, I mean, I've been lucky enough to learn from him for the best part of two and a half years. And... Yeah, it was, it was pretty proud, like, last year. I think we had a performance review really late in the year, and he was like, oh, I don't have anything else to teach you. And I'm like, well, that's nice. Yeah, that's... And that's kind of like when... Um, he's yeah. now at Devil Bend Brewery, which is down the Mornington Peninsula on a farm. It is picturesque. It is beautiful. I know exactly why he took that job. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, he, he was doing a lot of help getting the brewery started, so there was this transition period where I was learning how to invoice contract brewers and all the really dull stuff. But I suppose... Um, it was still daunting. Even, like, having all of his old recipes and having all the knowledge to execute is a totally other thing. And then the brew house died. And the mash tun died. Gosh. And then we had to brew non-stop for eight days. And then our glycol system failed a couple of weeks ago. And so the tanks weren't cold. So then it pushed us back even more. And, like, wow. we've had so many, like, challenges. Yeah, yeah. And then to do it all and actually meet the deadline of today. Yep. Yeah, I think it's a testament to our, our team of brewers out at Dandenong and just, like, how hard everyone works and, like, the passion that everyone in the team puts into it and I'm pretty lucky to, yeah. to kind of manage and work with all of them. Well, I think it's been pretty wonderful. Um, did we have any audience questions? No. Let's, they're in their own special place. They are. I, think, I can't we're blame them. We, yeah, we are in our special place. <laughs> we're getting in the way. Yeah. We're causing delays to brewing schedules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we should really, yeah, we should really scatter away towards the bar and try a couple more of the beers and let Callum finish off his good work and thank him for his amazing, like, valuable time, but his amazing insights and uh, and, and the work that he's put into to getting all these beers together. No, my my absolute pleasure. This has been a real hoot. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> we were saying before that it's apparently the staff here were saying it's the first time you've had a smile on your face in weeks and weeks. So, you know. A, a broken mash tun will do that to you. <laughs> um, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of like happiness, relief, joy, all of it. It's nice. It's wholesome. Well, it's awesome. A reminder for if you've been listening to the podcast, you can grab this pack of beers, not from our Shopify, uh, jump onto the Burnley website and have them. Listen back and uh, savour each of these beers as Callum describes them. Uh, and we're really lucky to have had this experience. I think the fourth Oktoberfest we've basically done with Burnley in a yep. row. And, mate, we can't wait to come back next year we've with even got more big plans yeah, for next year. Love it. By we, do, we, do you mean you? I mean, if this year shaved five years off my life, 
I don't want to know what next year's going to do. <laughs> I love it. Well, there's something to whet every appetite. Uh, Brother Cal, thank you very much for being on the show tonight. Thanks for letting us, like, literally onto the floor of the brewery to make this happen. And, um, Mr Wu, let's get back to the bar and enjoy some of these beers. Absolutely. Thanks, David. Thanks, Callum. Thanks, fellas.